0: was a massive change in my business about you know, two years ago, roughly, and everyone in this room I'm sure is experiencing it also. We're really into like a new way of flipping.
1: This, this, this is the House, House flipping, flipping HQ, HQ Podcast.
0: Flipping. Now let's get flipping with your host, Justin Williams. Justin Williams.
1: Hey guys, what's going on? Justin Williams here. I am currently... Ah, sitting on a bed overlooking the San Diego Bay. There's some really cool ships out there. Um, I can see the, the city out there. Um, beautiful view. I'm at the Lowe's Coronado Resort. And we are currently in the second day of the seven-figure flipping event. And it has been amazing so far. So I wanted to hop in here real quick, guys, and give you kind of some of the live play-by-play while we're here. Uh, we have... Uh, the rest of today, and then tomorrow for seven figure, and then the next three days after that are going to be flip hacking live. So it's been crazy. I've been really busy, uh, so haven't been able to hop on here as much as I want. Uh, and I don't know that I'll be able to hop, to be able to do another podcast this week while I'm here. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I can. But wanted to give you guys kind of a play by play of what has happened. So far. Um, and then I'm actually gonna let you listen to one of the seven figure flipping presentations that we had from, from Michael Green. You guys heard him on the podcast before when him and I were, were talking about him being a part of the group. And um is really cool. Some of the things he shared are really cool, and I got his permission. You know, normally we don't share the presentations from seven figure flipping because so it's kind of an exclusive type thing, and you know, people they share things that they may not they don't want everyone else to know. Um, But I'm going to share with you kind of some of the things that we've talked about so far and some of the things that have gone down. And I'm going to let you listen to that entire presentation that that Michael gave. And and if you guys don't remember, Michael has flipped over 650 houses. He's a a seven-figure income earner uh, for quite a while now. He's just a really great guy, really smart guy. Um, It's a really really cool presentation. So I'm excited to let you guys listen to that. I'm glad he was open to, to sharing that. Uh, with you all so all right so we started out um yesterday at, at two o'clock and uh first of all i mean this resort is is incredible if you guys have never been here man it's it's beautiful so we have this really cool room upstairs called the avalon room they just finished remodeling it and it's beautiful it has beautiful views of the the bay um just super super cool so um, everyone met together on on day one, and first we had all the coaches go. So Bill Allen, who those of you who don't know him, he's on track to do about 200 deals this year. A couple years ago, he only did a couple deals. Joined Seven Figure Flipping last year, ended up doing close to 70. This year, he's on track to do 200. The guy is, is it's amazing what he's done. He had a full time job, just quit his job earlier this year. Still goes every once in a while and flies jets because that's what he does for his job and. Um, it's, it's amazing what he's done with his business. So he shared um, some really cool things with us, kind of gave an update on where he was at and the things he's doing well, things he's struggling with, and what he's doing about it. Um, and that was that was really powerful. He did a lot of Q&A. Then Andy McFarlane got up there, and Andy's on track to do $4.5 million this year, uh, mostly in wholesale fees. He currently does about 25 to 30 wholesale deals every month. Um, and he got up and shared some really cool things. And then we had the mics go. And uh, Mike and Mike were my first students to hit seven figures last year. And they're, they're doing some really cool things. They've kind of become experts on hiring and firing uh, and building a team. And they shared some things with that. Then we had my man, uh, Ricky. Actually, Doug Van Soest, uh was a recent. He just recently joined up with us for the seven figure group. Um and he's gonna be joining the he's actually gonna be in the eight figure group, which I'm really excited about. I just gotta talk about this morning. It's super cool. So he'll be one of our eight-figure members and he was a last minute ad to the group, and Doug has been doing some some amazing things. Um uh, him and I have been friends for a long time, but he has a rental portfolio worth uh eleven million dollars, five and a half million of that is is equity. Um like 58 rental properties here in in Southern California he does about 75 wholesale or flips each year He's on track to do two and a half million this year I could go on and on 18 thousand dollars in um, passive cash flow and just just an amazing person and the the best thing about him and everyone in this group um, especially the high level people who are making some figures you know Doug works about 20 to 30 hours per week. And um he actually had to cut out early. You know, he just joined the group last week, and he was in Hawaii like the week before with his wife. um So we had to cut out early because he coaches his son's football team, and um you know he didn't have time. He didn't plan on coming because it was a last minute ad. He, uh, so anyway, I'm rambling. I mean, <laughs> it's been a long, it's been a great but a long uh, day and a half so far. So um anyway that was it was really cool to have him kind of share some of the things that are working for him um he 's got amazing follow up processes and and it's it 's pretty cool it 's just been so awesome to be these really high level amazing people for a couple of days i mean, so much different than going out to um you know, to i hate to say it, but like a typical like real estate investment club meeting right where people aren't doing deals not a lot of people not a lot's going on and you kind of like oh what's going on like being with these high level people that are running businesses at a high level it's just super powerful um it's been it's been really awesome so then we had actually before him we had ricky biddle uh who's another uh seven figure going to be joining the eight figure program as well that we're just rolling out and this guy is doing amazing things with with student housing and and he built a management company around that because he realized no one was managing the, the student housing that well and so he built a management company and super high level amazing guy amazing presentation so um then we went out to the pool and hung out for a while that was a lot of fun i got some some food and and just we're hanging out with some really cool people so that was day one and then today day two we had Ernie and Nixon. Uh, Ernie, they're they're basically probate uh, experts, and they shared some really cool things they're doing in probate and how to make probate work and do it differently than everyone else is doing it. And I can't share with you exactly the things I talked about um, because I wanted to keep it exclusive, exclu- seclus- exclusive, <laughs> exclusive for for the group. Um, but it's just really cool. Like if you can get like a niche. I mean, now they're able to go broad. Like right now they're able to go to other states and they're going to be partnering with people in the group and they're going to it's like abundance, right? They're going to help each other grow their businesses because of all the cool things they're doing. So that was really cool to hear. And then Chris uh and Rick, um these guys just joined uh not too long ago as well, but they they do some really cool things um with with storage units and uh they've done a lot of commercial things and they they make a lot of money on these deals that they do and they flip a lot of houses as well, but they make a lot of money on these deals they're doing, but they don't have the systems down like, like we teach. So they're really excited to, I, I mean, basically they made close to six figures on a commercial building, uh, when they bought it, not to mention all the money that they're going to be making, um, on that actual building and the storage facility they put together, uh, they have it one third of the way rented out and they're growing that and it's at break even right now and as they grow that it's going to be a cash flow cow so that was pretty cool to hear about that people are going pretty crazy and it's pretty cool because they're talking about how much less competitive it is than the single family stuff that that a lot of us do right um so i'm not look don't don't get, don't get crazy out there guys keep focused you can do this <laughs> but it's just really cool how they're able to take like some of these systems that we're teaching them and i have a feeling they're gonna go blow it up there and then a lot of people from the group are gonna learn how to do that same thing in their market and that's that's abundance right that's what's so cool about a high level mastermind group so that was really exciting to hear them um share all that then jeremiah johnson got up and you know when jeremiah was on the podcast there was a little something that he shared with me at the end that he just said he's like hey i just i don't want to share this with everybody um but I want to share it with the seven-figure group. So we set that up, and he just shared how he's making an extra $40,000 uh, a month um, but on houses that he never would have touched before. And anyway, he's not doing this every month, but he's probably going to start to do it on a more regular basis because it's been super profitable for him. So that was cool for everyone to um, learn that. And then there's a couple of people that are doing something kind of similar, so we all kind of masterminded about how to do that. And, uh, Bill, you know, Bill Allen is always thinking of ways that we can do something together as a group. And, uh, it's pretty, pretty exciting. And I, mean, I will not be surprised if, anyway, I'm, I'm about to like share t- too much information here, so I don't want to do that because I going to ask Jeremiah about that. But, um, yeah, then let's see, what do we do from there? I got the agenda right here. Then we talked about the state of the market. Like, where is the market? Where's it going? Where do we think we are? And then we talked about how to bulletproof your business and to where it doesn't really matter where the market goes, but, um, it's, we kind of talked about where we think it's going, where we're at, and then how do you bulletproof your business so you can go full throttle hundred percent and not slow down, not have, um, not be concerned. Right. And you guys have heard me talk about that. So that was a really cool discussion. And Andy talked about, um, how he does budgeting and, and all that fun stuff. Um, yeah, super cool. And then uh, Tara, it was it was awesome she came up and uh, she talked about bulletproofing your life and we were able to talk get in and talk about how to work with people and how to work with a spouse and partners and whether they work with you or not in the business and how we work together and uh, that was really cool people got a lot of value out of that it was really um, a lot of people came up because you sometimes wonder like is this valuable to people like we're this part we're not teaching you how to make millions of dollars right but at the end of the day, like what this group is all about and why I love this group and, and all of you guys as well. I, I hope that you're um, feeling the same culture and same way of trying to run your life is this group is not about, Hey, let's go work 80 hours a week, every week for our whole life. And then never see our families or anything like that. Right. We do things for a reason. It's the why it's why we do them. So it was pretty cool uh, for people to ask questions about how we work together and believe me, it's not perfect. It's, it's messy. Right. But the things that we do that, that help us and, and and whatnot. So, anyway, I'll I'll go into that more in detail on another uh, episode. I I I try to make this short, and I just keep going on and on, right? I wanted to go through this really quickly, and then share with you um, the the presentation. So I'll, I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting there. All right. And then we went to lunch, and then after that, for the first time ever, I rolled out the eight figure flipping program. <sighs> So that was pretty cool. Kept it short because not everyone is ready for that program, but it's pretty crazy. Like in the group, we have um, close to about 20 people now. You know, it's crazy to think that we started this group just a couple of years ago. Our first meeting, in fact, was the beginning of last year. And it's crazy. It's like the four minute mile, right? We had one person that hit a million and it took, you know, a good year or so. And now it's just like boom, 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 one person after another. Just this week, I've had three people reach out to me. And literally like not even job is show me their PLs and they're over a million. Uh so so amazing, right? And in the past seven, in the past week. I think two of them were at the end of last week. And then just today, someone else came up to me uh and showed it to me. So the eight-figure group, just how seven figures all about getting people from six to seven figures. Eight-figure flipping will be all about getting people from seven to eight figures. And I'm sure you guys all talk about that a little more in the future, but the bottom line is. Just like you can't get to seven figures by hanging out with people who are like brand new to real estate, the same idea. Like if you want to get to eight figures, you gotta continue to push that. You gotta continue to hang out with high level people that are that are doing those things. What got you here won't get you there. So we we decided to start a a group of all the people that are at seven figures. We had to raise the bar so dang high that not as many people could get in the seven figure flipping group. Or we had to create a group for people who, because the gap is going to continue to widen. As you have a couple people, some people come in the group; they're at a couple hundred thousand, and then some people are at like mid seven figures. uh, I mean, like five hundred thousand, and then you have some that are at a million. And we have actually a few people in the group that are at multiple um, seven figures. Right. So uh, we had to create something else for for higher higher level people who are ready for that next level, and also the seven figure group as to where the eight figure group as to where the seven figure group is about creating a seven figure house and and wholesaling business. The eight figure group, uh, will be about multiple streams of income. And, um, we have some people in the seven figure group that are already starting to do that. And when I talk multiple streams of income, I don't mean just like another rental property. Right? I mean like a whole nother business or, or doing commercial or, or something along those lines. So anyway, I'm getting excited about it. I'm kind of just like sharing it all. Um, my, my good friend, Jared Turner, uh, told me before I left he actually let us borrow his yacht we have his yacht here for for the week um so we're going on actually that's what one of the groups is doing right now they're going on a yacht cruise and then tomorrow we're going to go on a yacht cruise with all the the new eight-figure flipping members um so that's gonna be really cool so everyone in that yacht will be you know a seven-figure income earner uh, which which is pretty cool right so but my friend jared turner when i was coming down here texted me said hey i'm i'm in here i'm in costa rica right now because a hurricane nate in my hotel like he has a, he owns a hotel in costa rica right that it's like a, a rehab center hotel uh which is it's pretty cool what he does but um so he had to be down there because hurricane nate caused a little bit of damage and so he's up there taking care of that I and mean, it's all good but uh you know he has a house there so when he goes to stay at the hotel he he has his house and his house has a Um, his house has a full-time like chef and driver and all these really cool things. So he's like, hey, you know, I have this house that I don't use a lot. You should have your high-level people um, come down sometime, like whenever you want. Just let me know. Come down for a few days, a week, or whatnot. So as a part of the eight-figure flipping group next year, um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to go there and stay there for a few days and spend half the day. Masterminding, and then the other half going out and and having fun, and and just exploring Costa Rica. And I believe that it's through those things, like seven figure flipping, is like a family. Uh, eight figure flipping is going to be like a brotherhood and a sisterhood, like super close, super tight, uh, tight knit, and just trying to change the world in our own little way. So, um, anyway, I could make this a podcast in of itself. Um, Without even sharing Michael Green's presentation, but so okay, where are we at, Justin? Focus, Justin, focus. Um, oh man I have other things I was going to go off on a tangent about, but I'll I'll save that part. So um, yeah, it's been been really cool. So right now, what's going on is then we broke out into breakout sessions. So those are some super high level presentations that we had, and then for right now this afternoon, we broke up into four different groups with all the coaches and. Each group has, like, 20 to 30 people in it, um, and it's, like, 13 to 14 partnerships. So there will be 13 to 14 people get up, and they will share the number one thing that's working in their business, uh, something that they're killing it at, and then they'll say the number one thing that they're struggling with. And it's really cool. As If you guys have never been part of a high-level mastermind group, it's pretty powerful. As each person goes around and shares these things... Um, you know you leave these these meetings and it just completely changes your business um and your life and it's it's pretty powerful so that is what is going on right now and then the way the yacht works is there's four groups and they're rotating so right now one group is out on the yacht um actually one group just got back another group left and then they sit in the 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 uh the hot seat sessions breakout sessions and go around and then tomorrow morning two more of the groups will do will go on the yacht and then yeah so it's pretty cool and then tomorrow afternoon, we will uh, meet up one last time, and everyone's going to share like the biggest takeaways they had from the hot seat, just like gold bombs, like boom, boom, things that can make everyone another you know six figures over the next year. Um, we'll come back and share share those things, and that will be the uh, event. Oh, and I have a couple friends of mine coming that um, just started a, a startup where they're they're currently trying to grow a, a billion dollar company, and. Um, they have a really cool software that I think we can work with them on and anyway just a lot of synergy there and a lot of really cool things so that's uh, that's pretty exciting something we're gonna do in the eight figure group as well um, is just look at other investment opportunities like I said multiple streams of income so I thought it'd be cool to have these guys come down and kind of go on that yacht cruise with us as they've started this this other business and and just all the synergy there um, you know about five years ago I made an investment of $25,000, which I couldn't have done before, but because of the house flipping business and we had, had extra liquid liquid capital, uh, a friend of mine called me up who I trusted and he said, Hey, you should invest in this thing. And I had no idea. I didn't know anything about it, but I trusted him. And I was like, Oh, if I lose the money, I lose the money. And, um, you know, today it's pretty crazy because that same investments worth like 1.2 million. Um, that was kind of fun, right? But, but you can't take those kinds of, um, riskier, if you will, investments Uh, that that also could have really big paydays if you don't have that liquid capital so that's what's really cool about about this business is it it can allow you to to do those things so anyway that's part of the reason why i wanted these guys to come and, and share more of what they're doing and um i've invested in their company we got other people in the group that have invested in their company as well um so so yeah anyway just really cool really exciting stuff so that is kind of seven figure flipping in in a nutshell what is going down yesterday today and i jumped into tomorrow as well <laughs> um but that's good because i don't think i'll be able to get another podcast out about seven Figure. so anyway now on to the main event so i want to let you guys listen to one of the full presentations um this is just like a minute a sample of of one of the many presentations that we have here at the seven figure flipping and one of the people that and people are down like working from networking with andy and mike and bill and 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 uh, michael green and all these different amazing people right now, as as we speak, it's, cra- it's been wild. I've been up since 4.30 this morning, so is how I roll. But this is like the first minute I've had because now they're in the breakout sessions, right? So I wanted to reach out to you guys really quick. So Michael's a really, really uh, cool person. I mean, he, he'll mention this, but he dropped out of high school in the 10th grade. And he's been through a lot, um, has had a lot of lows. But he currently is... He's taken control of his life, and it's pretty amazing to see what he's accomplished. He's flipped over 650 houses. Uh, he's a seven-figure income earner all the way, and he's not super flashy. Uh, that's kind of the people that we attract into the group. But he also, you know, has a good work-life balance. Um, and I just really liked what he shared. He said he talked about the old way versus the new way of, of flipping houses, and what I loved that he shared. I see so many people who like, oh, this business doesn't work anymore because they never adjust. They never adapt. They're not in a mastermind group. They're not keeping up with what is working. So something that Michael did was as he started to see, hey, uh, things aren't working the way they used to anymore, he found a bunch of really high-level investors throughout the country. People were flipping, you know, 100, 200, 300 houses a year. And he went around and he traveled and, and went and find out, found out exactly what they were doing and how they were doing it. And he found these common denominators in uh all all of these businesses and that's kind of what he talked about he calls it your durable competitive advantage and i guess it's something that warren buffett talks about Uh, michael read all of his books and it's something that warren buffett talked about his durable competitive advantage so he goes through and he shares all of these dca's what he calls them um and he shared all the dca's that is like versus the, the new way versus the old way uh of of flipping that has allowed him to to be on top and and dominate um in in his market and make a great seven-figure income and live his life the the way that he wants to live it so i really resonated with a lot of what he shared i hope you guys enjoy it and i will talk to you at the end So I'm going
0: to make this quick because I got a lot to get through, and I only have about 20 minutes, and I want to leave a little bit of time for questions. But uh, there's a massive change in my business about. Two years ago, roughly, and a lot of everyone in this room, I'm sure, is experiencing it. Also, we're really into like a new way of flipping. So, this is some new stuff that I've really just been developing lately because I just two years ago realized there was a massive change in my business. And uh, without that change, I don't think I would have made it. I mean, I flipped about 650 houses at this point, and just two years ago, I was running a business that was doing about 150 deals a year, and uh, about 65% of those were actual flips the rest wholesale deals and some auctions. We had an auction company too, which was just another kind of ninja way of wholesaling essentially. So uh, flipping houses the new way, and it's really very different than what you'll probably hear. So some cool stuff I'm gonna kind of blow through it pretty quickly. Michael Green, my story, I'm gonna bust through this because he said, hey, tell them who you are, where you came from. My story is I grew up poor, I dropped out of 10th grade, so I'm not the smartest stuff, tool in the shed. I'm always honest about that, and that's why I've had to make my business really simple because uh, I don't need anything complex. And when it's really complex, you know, it just doesn't work. I'm sure a lot of people see that also. Uh, and I got in trouble by the time I was 18. I changed my life around, like, literally when I was 21. and just started to kind of, you know, be a productive member of society. And they started to do, like, business, like, where I would actually go, I own my own business by 22. I own a flooring store. And uh, as I did that, things really got cool. But I did start living the American dream, which is I was 100K in debt by the time I was 30. And, uh, and then crappy credit. So uh, yeah, that's normal stuff. So honestly, it was a great natural transition in the house flipping. <laughs> 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 <Our> investing massive <laughs> amounts of money and people were willing to do it. <laughs> and with my great track record, I'm surprised, but no problem. Money came like nothing. So I started flipping houses. I made every mistake in the book. I'm pretty sure I invented a few others that you know, like you would be really surprised. But uh, that's kind of how we learn, right? Through trial and error, school of hard knocks, most expensive school. I hear it's more expensive than Harvard. But finally, I spent a bunch of money and I got a mentor. And it was money I didn't have at the time. I was 100k in debt. So at, when I did that, I was 115k in debt. So the good news is I did make that back pretty quickly after about six months of working with him, really understanding some techniques and you know everything I did. He was like, "Oh, that's super simple stuff. I just didn't know anything." But you know, I really wanted to be in the business. I watched so many flipping shows. I was you know my whole life since a teenager, I watched like Carlton Sheets and and all the different stuff that, that you know, just always inspired me, because I grew up poor, and I was like, oh have the Rolls the Royces, and the, the big mansions, and funny enough, I live very frugally now, I have none of that, and I actually make money, but I don't need any of that now, so not quite the dream I expected, but while learning from my mentor, I actually met my business partner, and that's who I went on to partner with, and me and I put together some really basic systems, you know, everything we talk about, how to send letters out, how to generate leads, how to run those leads and convert them into deals. And, uh, and we started then creating like very simple systems to build a business that was doing a lot of volume. And about seven years, we uh, went from flipping eight to 10 houses a year to doing about 151 houses a year, and that was in year seven. But quickly, what we found out was we were flipping the old way and there was starting to be a massive change in the market. So, and I'm sure most people have experienced, if you're in California, you probably experienced this well beyond two years ago, but on the East Coast, there's started to be this big change in the market. We went from where it was really a buyer's market, where it was easy to send a letter out, negotiate and get a deal. And then quickly, what we're having right now is that, it's really a seller's market. And you're finding that, like you know, all the stuff that we commonly do is not working as well. And that's what we started to see. So right before our eyes, you new know, deals became extremely challenging. Uh, we started really, you know, just all of our profits started dropping. We're doing a lot of volume, but we weren't really making a lot per house. I think we were averaging about 18k a house at 151 houses a year. And you know, most of those, we were averaging about 10, 10k, 9k, roughly on the wholesales. So we were really averaging 18k <coughs> fixed, but really low. And uh, and just the year before that, we were averaging 32. That made a better business, obviously. So that was a big drop in our numbers. So quickly, me and my partner decided to kind of split our company up. I ended up selling my half of the business to him. I was the architect of the business. He was literally the guy who put the money up. So I was able to go and make a complete new business. So it was like a new slate for me. I was able to just get out there and just, like, create any business I want now. And I also have about 600 houses under my belt at the time. You know, i would managed a lot of people. Other challenges I'm hearing in the room, very similar challenges, trying to get leadership. That was my big thing for many years because managing people was the key to all this. You know, we had to have a lot of people to run all that. So I had a choice to make. Was I going to overhaul my business or was I going to get a job? Um, well, I'm not really hireable. You know, I have a 10th grade, 10th grade education. And I don't really have a lot of like uh, tangible skills for the job market. So I really decided to kind of just step up and really redo this and realizing that there were still people in the business that were doing really well. And, you know, some people were doing really well. And there was a lot of people, this, you know, this business naturally kind of weeds out people over time, the only a strong survive. You'll see that in flipping. I mean, it's uh, you have like the downturn in 2009, got rid of a lot of people. Well, we're in a similar thing that's happening right now, where the market's getting so good that it's hard to buy deals. You know, selling it's like a cinch. You don't know, need, you know, I don't even have a realtor anymore. I went out my license because I literally put a sign up and I get multiple offers and I just make everyone negotiate against each other, and I'm the best realtor. <laughs> and I'm to pay a commission. So simple stuff. So I spent a year, about two years ago, I spent a year and quite a bit of money just literally traveling. And uh, I was traveling as part of Fortune Builders. I know some people have uh, been part of that. So I would literally find like all the guys that were really doing business, uh, part of Fortune Builders, part of like any other, just meetup groups, anywhere I could find, like real people doing deals. Not guys doing like maybe 10 or 15 a year. It was really more about finding people that were doing a lot of volume. Because what I found in a lot of volume was that you know you had to have really tight systems, tight systems that were working in this new market. And I spent a year traveling and every time I would go to a cool city, you know, I'd find somewhere I really like to go, and then I would go find someone that was doing a lot of business and spend a few days with them. And I could get in the door because I had done so much business, it was easily, you know, we could mastermind. There's a lot of great things I shared with them. But ultimately I would come away with a couple of nuggets, a couple of things that really I seen as core common denominators between what was, you know, I seen with everyone I spent all this time with over the year. So here's what I found. I really want to share that with the group because I think it really encompasses exactly what the new way of flipping is and kind of the changes that we need to make from the way we did business a couple of years ago to the way we need to do business now in order to win and consistently win we grow our business and scale it up like we all talk about so, you know, what, we, what the new way was is that we're in this very competitive market and there's been a massive shift and we talked about this from a super hot seller's market. So, what I started to realize as being the new way of flipping was that you had to really give like high level customer service. You know, you, you went from, like, just not taking a phone call. Like you really needed to stand out. And when you started standing out, it, this is how I started to win when I would stand out. And I will talk a little bit about the downside is that, you know, right now, deals are being completely scooped up by investors willing to pay too much. And I'm sure it's in one of the deal with that. A couple of shakes, I'm sure. That's kind of all of our problem, right? Everyone is like the deals are just everyone's paying too much. Hedge funds are buying properties in certain markets. My market, there are some hedge funds that buy. Um, it's actually a pretty awesome opportunity because they've been wholesaling some deals to me. It's kind of cool because they usually pay a lot more than most people are willing to pay. For their and, uh, and then really everyone's starting to share their knowledge very openly. You know, when I got in this about 10 years ago, it was really hard to find a mentor. You know, guys that were really killing it in the business, they literally would not share their techniques with now Now everyone's coaching. Everyone's realizing that there's more abundance in sharing with people. And when you share with people, I know for me personally, my experience has been, as I've shared with people, my business has gotten better. And my life's happier. You know, it's more fulfilled because it's not that I closed off hide in the closet. My business partner was that guy, so that was one of the things that he didn't allow me to ever coach or help people. It's like, don't tell them our secrets. I'm mean, I'm pretty sure they go on YouTube. That's where I found them. <laughs> <laughs> I tell them. So I tried everything, to, you know, to really try to revise that old business, and then it just didn't work out. And we even tried crying. That didn't work. <laughs> uh, you know, and what I mean by crying is like making excuses. You know, not like literally crying. I, I did a little bit real crying, but you know, just, it's okay to cry as a man. We we agree. You know. <laughs> But, you know, it's more of that excuse making, right? Saying, well, you know, the market's too good, you know, people are paying too much. It's, you know, making every excuse. I mean, we've made it. Like, it's too competitive now. You can't send letters. MLS doesn't work. I fell for that for a while. I I found 20 deals last year on MLS. So I had a year where I cut the MLS out because so many people had told me it didn't work. And I started, like, believing it. And just you know, at the end of the day, it works in every single market if you know how to master it you know to work it in an efficient manner where you can find the deals. If there's someone finding deals on the MLS. You just have to be part of it. So the new way, you know, I had have a hard talk with myself and step up and realize that you know I needed to run a flipping business like Warren Buffett. So I started to study that because I had a lot of respect for him as a business person. He's someone who you know really understands business at a high level. And there was one common denominator as I read most of his books. And everyone says, "What book should you read?" But I read all of them. And I found common denominators. He always had his big thing in his decision-making process is what is your durable competitive advantage? So I started to ask myself, what is my durable competitive advantage for my house flipping business? And it's a really powerful question because like, what is our competitive advantage? From what I've seen is most of us do kind of the same stuff. Like what do we do differently to really make us stand out from every other just average Joe who's flipping houses? Like, what is that? And this is what I found as, I, as a common denominator, I found a lot of people that were hitting it really hard. There's some people I spent time with that were flipping 300 houses a year and doing it in the most efficient manner that I've ever seen in my life. And uh, it made my business look just like, completely like, you know, dwarfed what I was doing because they were doing it so well. And the funny part is they were often doing it with about half the people. So they were, like, I had like, 15 employees that do 150 houses a year, and they're doing it like nine, they're doing 300. Because every piece of the business was so efficient. So one of the things I found when I spent that year traveling was that you know educating myself and discovering the two, I call these DCAs and it's Durable Competitive Advantages. Like what what makes us stand out is uh, the Durable Competitive Advantages that they all had, it really were game changing. I realized I didn't have one, that's what I found out. Like I really don't have a Durable Competitive Advantage. Now I did have a little bit of a competitive advantage. And my competitive advantage was that I was smart, you know, that I educated myself because I literally buy like all training that everything's available, that's so how I ended up in this. Uh, thing, I literally spend 10% of my income in education. Yeah, you know, I'm a little bit of a, I imagine like that's the way it goes. It's a never ending process. It's a journey that never ends. Because people say you spend so much money but when you stop, never. You know, that's part of who I am. You know, that's what I do. So I realized I didn't have a durable competitive advantage. I have a little bit of a competitive advantage, but not a durable one. Not one that could last if I wanted to flip houses until I'm 70. And I do plan on doing that. I know some people have dreams of retiring. For me, I just, I really love my business. It's a great business to own. I don't work a lot of hours in it. And I'm flipping a decent amount of houses. And my income is extremely high right now for the work I do. And I'm able to travel four months a year. So I literally, I don't know, I could do that the rest of my life and I only have to grow it. Now, unlike everyone else, I'm kind of sick, I wanna grow it and I I gotta fight that urge a little bit because it's really amazing. So the number one durable competitive advantage is really knowledge and superior processes. Uh, Everyone I spent time, they had amazing amounts of knowledge and their processes were superior. Most people in this room, if you're doing it and you're making money flipping, you have a process I'm assuming. But the question is, is it superior to the the top 10% of the other people doing it in your business? And that's a tough question to ask yourself. The answer might be yes, it might not be. Some of the people I'm hearing speak on the stage today have some superior processes, and they're definitely heading towards improving those every day. And that's what it's all about. And it was speed and efficiency. I mean, they did things faster and more efficient than anything. They constantly were automating processes. And I know Justin and everyone talks about automating processes, but what that means for me, automating a process is not just having my code to go do work for you, but it's automating the decisions you make every day. You know, when you're in this business, there's some really high-level decisions you need to make. So for me, it was creating and understanding, like, KPIs for everything and understanding that if 2 equals 2, I go left, 2 plus 2 equals 4, I go left, and if 3 plus 3 equals 6, I go right. And there's a lot of stuff that you have to come up with. And what would happen, what would pull me back into the business is when I wouldn't have an automated way to make these decisions, I would constantly be the guy that everyone had to go to. And it would allow me to be out of the business because people didn't know how to make that decision. So I automated a lot of decision making processes, not just the you know, sending the mailers out and how we respond to people, which is a big piece. And cutting calls through streamlined processes. There's some, you know, if you challenge the way that you think and challenge everything you've ever done and you upgrade it, you'll find that almost anything you're currently doing can be done better and faster. Yeah, it's hard to really think that because we all think we're the best, obviously, right? Until you get in this room and you realize, okay, there's always probably at least one person in this room that's doing it better. Uh, I've even seen that in a little bit of time I've been here. I've been very impressed with the group. So like, understanding that you can upgrade processes. So I used to take, on average, if I'm renovating something that's 60000 bucks, that takes me like six to eight weeks to do That's a pretty fast time. That's not like slow by any means. And uh, some people are way slower than that. But I'm just finding that these guys were flipping tons of houses, were doing like $60,000 renovations in three weeks. Like, yeah, three weeks. And they were just knocking them out like over and over and over. And the key to it was is that they had KPIs for everything they did. And they also, they were using this process called stacking contractors. Um, I've been using it recently, and I've done some stuff that – I've never been able to accomplish. I'm literally in the next month, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do something and I'm gonna kind of state this in the room, but we'll see if it actually happens. uh, If it doesn't happen, then the video will never come out. But I'm gonna try to flip a house that's a $45,000 renovation. I'm gonna try to do it in seven days.
1: So we'll see if it's possible. Uh,
0: nine's okay too. The video will still come out at nine. It takes like 14. We'll just uh, we'll go back to the drawing board and figure out what's going on. That's not impressive enough. But the reason why I would be able to do that is I've been testing for the last year stacking contractors. You know, literally, I know that if I get a four-person crew in. It takes me about six weeks to do, you know, maybe a fifty to sixty thousand dollars renovation. Well imagine if I could get three crews and four people doing different things and organize them all together. Is there any logical reason why it can't be done in a third of the time? Like the answer is no, is what I'm finding. Because I've had some things go super quick when I'm able to do that. The key is how do you get three different crews not to kill each other? That's the <laughs> These sure. guys, I have a lot of culture. You know, uh, you were talking about culture. That's being a big thing in my business, and I have a lot of culture with my contractors. So they are really good people. I think I can get them all together. So that's what we're going to see. I'm actually going to have four crews in at one time. I try to do this house, so that's going to be some neat stuff. We're going to see how that happens. I've, I've been putting the plan together for a month, so uh, it's going to be really fun. You can really that. <laughs> Excuse me, I am going to record every bit of it. Yeah. And like I said, you won't see it, if it didn't work. Yeah. So if you see it on YouTube, it, it worked. But yeah, I'll definitely <laughs> share it with the group because the process is, for me, what I'm trying to figure out, it's really like manpower versus like the equations I've seen is they have a lot of like, man, how many man hours does it take to do a renovation? Because anytime time you see your renovation taking more time than you think, it's always you go there and it's just not people there. If you get in there and it's like, wow, like the neighbors are calling, there's so many cars parked. People are fighting with each other. I think the electrician just stabbed the HVAC guy. I it's really good, believe it or not, I mean, for the most part. The minus the quo, right, obviously. But that's why they have to get along, you have to have the right people. But when you see a house that's filled with people, it means it's going well, right? And often I've come in my renovations or you know, I go there and it's like, you know, it's a Saturday or it's a Friday too, and there's no one there, and there's two guys there. Like, two guys I'm not too upset about, but if I go there and it's empty, it's really not good. You know, because if you're going to get it done fast and you want to have a competitive edge and you're really going to beat out the competition in this highly competitive market, one of the easy ways to do that is to get your houses done super fast, which just cuts your cost down. When we cut your cost down, you can pay more for houses. Okay. I presume you have 10 to 15 going on. Ooh. No, so, so what I'm doing right now is I'm doing about 60 houses a year and 30 of those are renovations. The other 30, roughly, is wholesale deals. So I usually have somewhere between, it doesn't take as many, because I get them done so fast, I usually have no more than five or six at okay. a time. I guess just imagine stacking is a great idea. It's almost like you have to stack two and then stack, it's hard to have them all stacked the same. Yeah, so I don't stack them all at the same time. So literally, there's many houses I do that are only going to be, like they're going to be six-week renovations, especially ones that fall under the 91-day flippable. So that's the thing. If you flip a house in seven days, now the reason I'm doing it with this particular house is because uh, I've had a tenant in there for three months since I've owned it and I've been trying to evict. So I've already got the 91 days under my belt, not by choice. So that's why it's even more important that I want to get in and out of it and test the limits a little bit. So I have plenty of houses that take two months. But the key is that on certain houses, I'm testing this theory, and I want to then see, would it make more sense to put all, the like, two crews on every house? Maybe that's the change. I don't know. and That's why, you know, I'll report back to you. Currently, all my houses are taking, well, on average, for every $10,000 I spend. It uh, takes about a week worth, worth of work, roughly. So if I'm spending hundred k, it's 10 weeks, and that's uh, reasonably fast. Have you seen a stack in
1: your contractor's theory
0: or concept? I have actually seen it. So like when I was doing a lot of traveling, I spent the time with a guy in Chicago who was doing about hundred houses a year and uh, he had this process where he had one contractor it just happened to be the relationship. This one contractor had 15 guys and he would bring 15 guys. So he'd get everything roughed in, get it all ready to go. And this guy would just come in with 15 guys and you'd take it from rough in stages, like you know, rough in and all done to completion in about 10 days. Because he had fifteen guys working on nine stop, so it, it opened my mind to that, okay, that's where I've seen it from multiple people. So often was they would never have two or three guys, they would always have anywhere from like six to eight guys working at all times. Which manpower equals, you know, speed. We've tried to quality. Absolutely quality is always an issue you have to take, pay attention to. And you know the key is though if I have like four guys that are doing good quality, they tend to do similar quality. So everything is you're right, as the more you put people together, then you have to manage more. There has to be someone on site managing. I have two questions. How are you dealing with permit? Yeah, so I have a full-time project manager because I'm doing enough for that, right? So for me, in order to travel and have freedom, I I have a project manager. I have a full-time acquisitions guy. I have a full-time realtor. And uh, then I have also a full-time tech guy who's doing everything that's with me now. And that's pretty much so. I only have to do the 10% I like. I negotiate the contracts as the realtor. Uh, I do the design for the flips because I love that and I plan them. And then for acquisitions, I just seem to review. They just kind of line everything up for me and I look at it just make sure my money's not being sat down until it. That's all. Permits so I maybe you know, they're tough and permits make everything slower. So but the thing is when you are working, when you're not going through that kinda of dealing with you know, the inspections and stuff, I make sure the work goes as fast as possible. So one thing you don't want to do is compound the issue of say maybe it takes two weeks back and forth with an inspector to get past very rough ins. Well I make sure when we are free to go forward that we're doing that part really quick. And those do take longer, by the way. So you know, they usually put in a couple weeks just for permits when I'm doing I don't do permits on every house, by the way. I um, cut that off the record. But <laughs> I, I do when I have to do when I know I can get away with it. That's a it's a business decision for me because it costs me about eight more grand to do permits, and when I get caught, it only costs me about eight grand. So I get caught like one out of fifteen houses. So for me, I only pull them when I know that I'm going to get caught 100%, which is certain neighborhoods, and it's very clear. Like in Baltimore City, where I'm from, you pretty much pull them 100% of the time. But then when I'm in the county and I'm doing like a you know, let's just say a general kind of like I'm right on the end whether I need to pull permits or not and that's a place I just go in and knock it out in three weeks and there's no issues and I always do things to code by the way so that way if I do get caught they're usually very friendly about it because they see the work quality good so I don't cut corners or save money I make sure that everything will pass an in inspection if somehow I do have to pull permits. Um, do you have uh, any in-house guys that you work, work with as far as on the construction side and also the guy in Chicago Was that his crew or was that just the contractor that he hired out? Yeah, so it was a contractor he hired out, but the contractor only worked for him because he kept him so busy. And that's the relationship I have with my contractors is they pretty much only work for me because I'm able to keep them busy. And I make sure I'm scheduling them, keeping plenty plenty of projects for them. And I often do more houses than I want to do. It's because I'm making sure they have plenty of work. And as long as they're staying busy and the work quality is good and they're getting in and out quick, then I'm in for it. So, And I do have a project manager. I've had one since the old business. When I sold my business, I was very lucky. I was able to bring my three best employees with me who hated my partner but loved me. And they happened to be who I thought from a cultural standpoint and from a production standpoint, the best three people. So it's was very fortunate that I run a project manager who had done about 400 deals with me. And uh, and I was able to just work that out. Because when I started to do business, I could have just done 10 houses a year and made plenty of money. But I did enough in order to make sure I could bring those people with me because they make my life quality good. The key is I work 25 hours a week. I'm able to do that because of those people I have Place and I was lucky that I was building culture with them. I was friends with them. I consider them family. Uh, at some point, what I'm probably going to do as this business grows is I'm going to give them a small piece of profit sharing. And uh, we're already kind of doing that with them now. I allow them to do a couple deals a year with me where they get half the profit. And uh, I don't make them do any of the work. I literally just say it's your deal, and, and that's how I bonus them. So, but I, I allow me, I make sure for my acquisitions guy that I can pick any deal he picks. So if he picks a really bad one, then he don't want that one.
1: Sounds like you have a great
0: relationship and working productivity from your contractors. Any tips on how to create that? Yeah, I'm going to go through that right now, actually. So, attracting the best contractors, well, you're sure. like really on top of stuff mind like <laughs> like So yeah, actually building relationships and standardized pricing is how I do it. And that's one of the things I learned when I was traveling and watching and learning. I didn't invent any of this stuff. I'm not the smartest guy. I just like watching what other people do well. And uh, one of the things I've seen is like standardized pricing. So for me, instead of getting estimates, which is what I consider the old way of doing business, uh, I don't get estimates anymore. I do just like Home Depot and Lowe's. And imagine like if you were working with Home Depot and Lowe's. They're never going to say, hey, give us three estimates. They should say, look, this is what we pay, right? This is how much we pay. Now, make sure that's fair, and that's a fair price that everyone can live with. But uh, I create standardized pricing all the way across the board. So I get estimates only like highly specialized things like maybe a really massively bad foundation. Or, but even when it comes to roof electric plugs, I know what it is for plug. I know what it is to do plumbing. And sometimes there's a little bit of variation in some of the more technical stuff. But everything in the rehab about 85% of the things in the rehab are all standardized. And then I teach the guys, and I help them create their business around working and making enough money every week so that they can get a production done, and I help them be efficient in the manner that they do the work, and all that's, I do all that with them. So I do dive in with them and help, but once I get them going over a couple rehabs, then it's just, I drop them in, and they're just, it's almost like they're employees, but I don't have to pay them as employees, but they feel like they also have a business, they have the steady work every week, but they feel like they're actual business owners, which they are, by the way, so if they work harder one week, they make more money. And if they don't do a lot of work, then they make less money. And, uh, so I know what they need to make daily. So for me, they know like I one crew needs to make 600 bucks a day, and it's two people. It's a guy and two people, and he needs 200 for himself and a buck or 300 for himself and a buck 50 for each guy. And uh, as long as I know he's reaching 3,000 a week, he's good. And so I make sure that he can get 3,000 dollars worth of work done every week. As long as he's doing that, we're in really good shape, and he understands that. So that standardized pricing has been a big thing for me because uh, getting people out to do estimates in this highly competitive in the market is really hard. And you get them to do like two or three estimates, and you don't give them a job, you pretty much a that relationship. They'll never work with you again. So I ultimately just say, "Look, here's our pricing." It weeds out. I market like crazy on Craigslist for people, and I just call them in. It's a really quick conversation. Like, "Here's what we pay. Does that work for you?" And I'll to take it through the door unless they, they are okay with that. Can you send them a price sheet and you say, hey, for everything, this is what we pay? Yes. Yeah. in general when you're screening them? Yes, yeah, exactly. For the things they do, and I always try to make sure that they're not that uh, jack of, you know, whatever, what is it, master of none, jack of all trades, master of none. Because they'll say, yeah, I do sheet rock. That means, like, do you actually do sheet rock? Like, Have you ever done it like, in a production standpoint, like, standpoint? Can you do 300 sheets? Like, actually, well, sure you got guys can put in like, 300 sheets a day. They're $15 a sheet, but they, they hang 300 sheets <coughs> a day, and they have the first code on. Three to four days, they're out of the house. So could you it's you, super fast. Did you throw your price up on the Facebook page? I'd have to get it all together because a lot of it's mental now, so like because I've created it over the years. But yes, I am going to have it all together in a couple of weeks, and I'd love to share it with everyone. It's from Baltimore, obviously. What you have to do is create your own, your own market because it's very different, even in New Jersey. Exactly. In Southern California, it's going to be very different. But the key is you could use the structure just to say, okay, that's not that's a little low for me or a little high for me. And then you start understanding that this is how you work things out. Thank you. So, so for me, I've been working on this. I love talking to y'all wires behind walls I can't see, and underground plumbing are the hardest for me to get standard pricing on. And then drywall. My question really is to drywalls. Hanging sheets, I can get per sheet pricing with my guy. Yeah. But it's the how many holes is the electrician going to make in all the drywall repairs that will get me every time it's hard to standardize <laughs> Yeah, do? some things are more like a, a guessing standardized, Yeah, you know? so it's like, <laughs> hey, we got to <laughs> you know, all the other tracks, right, are things we're going but those ones I can't figure out. <laughs> yeah, and that's where you got the contingency, so that's part of my standardization is that there always is a contingency, but I do try to anticipate everything. So, even if that's a more vague anticipation, like so I can usually figure out what the wires are behind the wall because there's a lot of clues that'll tell you what it likely is. But every once in a while I've had where all new wires run to everything and then they got knob and tube behind the walls. Yeah, you know, that happens sometimes and that's where contingencies come in. But they come in for things like that and it doesn't come up that often. It comes after uh, demo to with that price. Uh, I don't even, get, so yes, I can just look at things once I've demoed, I can literally just put the guys in and I know what it's gonna cost. So if I'm wrong, when I buy the property, I'm off. <coughs> K. Okay, maybe I'm off. I have usually 10% contingency. That covers me if I'm wrong. So I'm usually almost always on budget, by the way, with 10% contingency. Do you give them your contract? or Do you put your contract to the contractor? Or do they give you theirs? Work that out. So there's probably a bigger question than that. I don't really work with GCs. I'm kind of the GC. So part of me having control of everything is that I create, like I have, like what I'll call my GCs are the guys who do all the carpentry work, everything except for the mechanicals. And then I hire out specifically myself and mechanicals, and I use my project manager to manage everyone. So we're more like the GC. So a lot of who I'm hiring is subcontractors, and I do that because um, they love working in that they, they they they're used to the subcontractor mindset. So that's that's. He's like, hey, you do X amount of sheets, you get paid X amount of dollars, and um, they're okay. And they, they know production, essentially. Once people have been a general contractor too long, they like to make a lot of money, it really <coughs> doesn't make sense. You know, I had an HVAC guy I was negotiating with the other day, and I'm like, that's a four-hour job. I know what the materials cost 2000 bucks. Why do you need 5000 Because you're going to make like 3000 bucks for four hours work with two guys. And he's like, well, that's what we charge. And I'm like, yeah, but you're making like uh, 1200 bucks an hour. There has to be some room to negotiate. He's like, that's the absolute lowest I can do it. I say, well, I guess the conversation's over. But the reality is, is that like, when you explain that to them, that's when I've been able to get people down, because often they create pricing that they think is fair, because that's what the market is. But I more speak in language of like how many guys will take you, how many days, and how much will that cost you to do? And obviously I'm not hiring people who have big fancy trucks and have a lot of overhead or marketing. I'm hiring people who hate to do sales, who really would love someone just to feed them work so they just show up every day, just like an employee, but they have that freedom of making more money when they work harder and you know that that they like that because they get to make a little bit. So when we go in, I want to get this one last thing. So the second thing that I found was a dominant liquid cash position. So it's a really big thing. I know that uh, there's so many people that are teaching and saying, hey, let's you know buy a bunch of rentals, but you know, I don't have that belief anymore because I did it literally always. They just were super frugal. And how they did that was they literally would create a specific plan with about three to seven years where they they would just like save every penny and live like a monk. And then just literally, I mean, their cash position would go from having a couple hundred K in the bank to having a couple million in the bank. And when they got to that point, their flipping business very much changed, you know, their whole dynamic. And then they would just stay that way for like 10, so they'd be 15 years into the game and they would have like $16 million cash positions and stuff, which, you know, everyone's like, why don't they buy rentals? Well, they just love flipping. And they paid all cash for their flips. And, you know, once they got past like three to five million, they would start hard money lending and doing other stuff in order to get returns which kept them in the game still. But in you know, three to five million, you could fund most of your deals if you're in a, you know, you're not Southern California. So they're in trouble, you, you do need private money then. So the way they would do it is, like I said, they were taking, they would create lifestyles, and this was so common across the board from everyone that I've seen was doing really well. They would live on 25% of what they make. And I see guys doing like 10%, by the way. But like minimum 25%. So if they were making like 400K, they'd live on 100. That's not a lot of money. I mean, it's a lot for most people, but probably for this room, I'm gonna say that's not a lot of money. Uh, literally, the IRS would get about 150. They don't fight me on the numbers, because I don't really know them that well, but these are the rough numbers. The IRS would get 150, they would get 100, their business would get 150. And if they really wanted to scale that up, they would just then go do 800K a year, and they, the IRS would get 250, they would get 100, they would keep 400 in their business. Imagine running your business a couple of years and putting $400,000 in cash into it. Like, if you're business, right, you always want to think of your business like your heart, and cash is blood. And the second you don't have blood flow to your heart, you have a heart attack. And it's the number one reason that most people get out of the flipping business is because they're just so stressed out by all the money being gone all the time and just, you know, oh, my house didn't settle on time, now i broke. I have a friend that I that I work with who I've been teaching the flip for many years. He took second place in the World Series of Poker, won like $5.5 million. He consistently calls me about how he's broke. He says he has an issue that he needs help with. He says, I can't say no to deals when I see him. And I'm like, you got to say no, because he has like zero cash all the time. And he's like, he's not broke. He's he's a CPA, by the way. So he's super good at financial planning. He's super good at his money. I mean, the fact that he has 5 million, plus he's probably got another 5 million of his own money. He just literally hates keeping in his bank account because he's like, I mean, it's not making any money in there. But my thing I've spoken with him recently is like, yeah, but look at the quality of your life. Like it's, it's like 100% of your stress comes from that one thing. That one thing, you're always feeling broke when your guy's worth $8 million, $9 million, and you feel broke. Like you should never be in that position. So maybe it doesn't make the perfect business sense to have like three, four dollars 500 dollars dollars k in the bank, but I'll tell you what, emotionally, it makes a lot of sense. And it really does. It helps you sleep at night, it helps you feel like you have true financial freedom. If you get in a place where you want to take a month off and go travel, having a million dollars cash in the bank or half a million dollars cash in the bank will allow you to do that and just be like, hey, my business will be fine. And that's where I always keep myself. So I literally live on about 90k a year. Uh, I cut my cable off. I cut everything off. I traded my car in. I have a decent car, but I just have a really nice car. I got rid of all that. My house is only a 300,000 house. It is on the waterfront. I got a super deal for it. But the thing is, I don't. My bills are very, you know, light. I don't spend more than that. I make about 10 times more than that, I'm over a million dollars a year in net income right now. So I'm literally living on about 10% of my income and you know, every year I try to find hacks to live cheaper, but I'm doing it because I have a mission, and my goal is to have a certain amount of cash in the next five years so that I know that I can pay all cash for my houses, because I do currently use hard money and private money, and you know that represents about 10 to 15K a deal that I can't pay additional. And if you want a competitive advantage in this hot seller's market, just pay more. You notice that the people who are paying more often cash buyers, but maybe they're just doing one or two deals at a time and they run out of cash. When we're trying to scale, we never have that option. But if you start packing your money away, there's a second advantage of it is that, if, I'm sorry, you can triple your income, hold on, you put 600k a year away. Man, that's pretty cool. Imagine a couple of years of that. I mean, I know that we have a lot of people doing a ton of stuff. I imagine when you look at the bank account, most of us as investors probably want have a lot of cash in our bank. So it doesn't have to be 600. It doesn't have to be $3 million, but having a lot of cash will make you sleep really well. I promise you that, I need that advice. Uh, so for me, I wanna work on five years and just keep doing what I'm doing. I wanna have about $5 million in the bank roughly before I do anything, buy another rental. Once I get to that point, I'll start buying rentals because I love rentals, I think they're amazing investments. I just don't wanna be in a weak cash position when I'm doing it. What I'm really waiting for is the market to go down. Because look, we all know it will one day. It's gonna go down, it's been going up, everything goes up, it must come back down. So when it goes down, that'd be a really great time for me to build my portfolio and I'll have the cash to do it. That's the key. I'll have the cash to really take advantage. And you think about this came from Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett keeps a he keeps almost 70% of his portfolio in low yielding uh, bonds. Does everyone, anyone know that? That he keeps like a ton of money in bonds right now. He's getting like a 3% return. This guy's a genius. He knows how to get better returns. The reason he's doing it is he knows the market's gonna crash in the next couple years. He knows it and he keeps that money where it'll be liquid. Where he can then take advantage and he will crush the market when he does because he'll have all the cash to do so. So most people don't even know that about him. That right now, he, most of his wealth is sitting in very low interest returns. Now he's got like 30 or 40 30% of his wealth is like out there and making big returns. But he doesn't care because like he wants to have the cash. So for me, I, that's one of my things. This could be a crazy concept, but you know, I'm listening to Warren so I'll, I'll let you know if he knows what he's doing there. So having that, you also, what I notice a lot of people, when they get about $2 million in cash in the bank, or they get where they have that kind of, that cash can be out on deals, by the way. Doesn't mean like you're just keeping in the bank, but you know you always have a couple hundred K in the bank and you have money out on deals because your deals if they're flips they'll come back. They're not going to be out there long term, four to six months usually for me. Um, you know you can get interest, low interest loans from the banks. So often if they've got two million in the bank or have two million that's accessible, that's not in like a long term rental or somewhere where they don't have it liquid, um, the banks are usually willing to lend and do you know stuff to people that have cash. What the bank doesn't really love, from what I've seen, is if you go there and you're like, hey, I make a million bucks a year, and they look at your bank account, and you got 110,000 bucks in there. They're like, hey, that just doesn't add up, like, logically. If like, you've been making a million bucks a year for two years, you've got 100K in the bank, they are just like, they want to see cash in there. And when you have cash, then they're really much easier to work with. And then Once you're able to get those low-interest loans, now you can just leverage what you've had. And, uh, and I know a few people doing that. I haven't gotten to that point yet with the banks, because I really don't like messing with the banks. They're very. I don't have the ability to stick with them long enough. You gotta, you gotta build a relationship, and in some it takes time. But I do have like my old business partner has a two million dollar credit problem that I worked out with him, and now I can, you know, I can go do the same thing with them. I just don't want to give up my cash to do it. So once you have that it's really going to allow you to take advantage of the long-term ups and downs. That's what I was just talking about. That's my really big thing. Some key points is as you're designing this business, keep it like 20 to 25 hours a week. Uh, I found the number one reason that I see a lot of my friends over the years get out of the business is that 60 to 90 hour work week is awesome when you're growing, when you're scaling. But, you know... <clears throat> There is a way to scale your business and only work 20, 30 hours a week. And I know a lot of guys in this room are proving that. And Justin, that's his big thing. And that's what kind of allured me to work with him because he's like, hey, I'm doing 10 hours. I'm like, oh man, 25, maybe I'm a sucker in the group. Too much. I don't know. I mean, I'll see because I really would like to get it down to a little bit less. And I did work about 60, yeah, I worked like 90 hours a week for seven years for that old business. And I loved it. But, it, you know, now that I've done the 25 hour week, okay, I'm like, all right, that's more like it. That gives you freedom to travel and do so much. Right? And then last piece, durable competitive advantage. My business today essentially is what I told you. I work about 25 hours a week. I did 53 houses last year. I'll probably do about 60 this year when it's all said and done. Um, last year I did it 53. It was like 31 flips and the rest were wholesale deals. So I was averaging about 10K a wholesale deal and about 41K per flip. And my average flip price is about two hundred fifty thousand bucks. That's what you know. I'm doing the first time home buyers in our area, so pretty cheap. Good, good market to be in. And question I have for you is like, what is your durable competitive advantage? You know, do you have a competitive advantage or do you have a durable one? You know, for me, I could run this business I'm running it today until I'm seventy because it doesn't require me to do anything I hate. I've hired people to do every single thing I dislike in this business, and I literally just do the things I choose to do, like negotiations and stuff. I kind of like doing that. That's fun. I took all that studying for sales so I could actually go using it on some people, right? Keep in sharp. So I like doing that, but everything I hate to do, like paperwork and all that, everyone else does that for me. So I can run this forever until I just don't, you know, until I have dementia or, you know, because like, <laughs> I flip mostly out of a recliner being a the lot there on every day. We're just like we have the dual recliners and we're just in there like looking at cops and like we don't leave the chair much. We were up near a bread yesterday and we are like, wow, it's just like, oh, the two little chairs for us and bad Wi-Fi, <laughs> so, questions. I know we asked a lot of people jumped in but if anyone else has questions I can answer it what was your average acquisition cost? I'm oh, sorry good. Average, average is about 3000
1: roughly
0: no no cost of a house Oh, cost per house. Right now, so it's 250 ARV. I think average cost, it it varies. I buy things that are like 350,000-hour ARVs. I won't usually go under 150 as an ARV. So average cost, you know, is like 70% of that. I'm usually buying anywhere from like 70 to 76%, depending on the deal. So I will buy things at 76 that are super easy. If I'm gonna make 40K on something and it's 76% because maybe it's a 350 or 400, I'll go up higher. In some markets, it requires 76% to win. And as long as the deal's not hard, I'm not gonna take on a hundred thousand dollar renovation for seventy-six percent usually. If I could do like a 50 K in and out and I can make quick money, I know it's gonna sell well on the back end, then I do, I'll go as high as seventy-six. The low end I'm usually like sixty-nine to seventy percent. You know, that's for smaller deals. They won't because they have to show at least thirty K profit or I won't touch it. At least that's, I have done a couple twenty-fives. Can you talk about stacking your contractors back down real quick? You
1: said that you don't have a GC, so you, mm-hmm. so
0: you basically you were just playing GC and hiring in you know, like this uh, electrical contractor and the drywaller the you're just you're, <laughs> staff, you're lining it up. Yeah, I'm lining it up. That's, that's really crazy. the only way to do it, honestly, um, for me at least. And I always have done that. And look, I'll tell you, that's been my downfall, and it's also been my genius. Right? On one hand, it's really sucks because I got to take on all the headache. On the other hand, it's allowed me to have complete control of my business, I don't get ripped off, I never have to get money up front, um, and I have complete control of everything, but having complete control of everything requires also being responsible for everyone. So it is a little bit of a catch-22, and that's my project manager essentially is my GC. So Do you have your actual GC license then? Uh, I do have my license, yeah, but I don't use it for anything. So, so you yeah. don't go on purpose then? I had it before I got into flipping because I owned a flooring store, so I just maintain it because it costs 300 bucks a year. And uh, every once in a while I'll write a letter for myself. Like, you know, they say, hey, you have a licensed contractor, do the work. I'm just like, all right, here you go. I just write the letter. So that's the only reason I have yeah. it. See, I'm running
1: too with my stuff. I've got to have a VC on My father wants my contractor, but I just, okay. I just got my license. But they're mm-hmm. they're like, they it pretty hard where I, where I am. So I was curious.
0: So usually when you own the house, you're able to be your own GC. You're just not allowed to do work for other people. That's at least the rules of Maryland. It might be very different in another state. If it is, then just get your GC license. Totally worth it. Just like getting your realtor's license. It's kind of cool stuff. I mean, I made two and a half percent on all my deals now, and I literally spend an hour a deal. It's usually when I have multiple offers, I have my person line up to top three, and I get on the phone with them. That's my hour. I spend like 15, 20 minutes. It's very short. Like, hey, your offer's not high enough. Come on, you can do better. <laughs> the person who like really wants the deal will usually jump out and say all right they'll like he said i think you're talking about i don't know who he was talking about like when you do the group thing where you get all the people in right that's awesome because you create that competitive environment. I learned that from auctioning. When I owned an auction company, like when you watch a house auction off, it goes for the absolute most money. You put 30 people in front of a house that desperately want it, you will watch people pay numbers for zero cents, like 85% of LTV. It's a genius way to get a lot of money for a house. And essentially when you do that group showing, you're just doing an auction. It's really amazing because they get to feed off all the other people there and it just completely adds value to the property. It's amazing. Last question, Sorry, last question. Sorry, go ahead. So you mentioned that you, you kind of mapped out all of your decisions so that you're not be making decisions for the business. How have you done that? Did you just write it down or you just have them in your head to like always buy seventy six What is this price or by buy seventy. Yeah, I have a complete under, underwriting criteria that I did develop over the years. So, yes, if the house falls within, like, say, uh, 250 to 300 ARV, then it'll say I'm allowed to go from 72 to 74% LTV. So, yes, I have done that because commonly I'm figuring out what it takes to win in my market. Uh, for every market, it could obviously be different. But for me, and my market is in that price point, I can win houses at that number, you know, enough houses to keep the doors open.
1: So all, right. Stop all right, guys. Well, I hope you uh, enjoyed today's episode. I hope you enjoyed what Michael had to say. Um, just a great guy. And that's what the, the seven figure and the eight figure flipping group is all about. You know, when Michael joined, it was actually because of the, the eight figure group. I mean, he was already at that seven figure mark. And, um, I don't know. It's just been really exciting. I remember starting the seven figure group and just being like, hey, this is high level. Like this is the high level. Like, right. Like I thought it was the i don't say top. but That's kind of the way I thought of it. Okay, let's bring all the top investors and grow them to like seven figures. And uh, it's going to be awesome. But now we're there. And the interesting thing is not only are people in the group growing to seven figures, but we're attracting people outside of the group that are already at seven figures. And before one of the really, you know, wasn't really their thing. Um, I don't know what my point is of that, but it's really exciting. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, and I'm just excited. I love this group. Um, and you guys, if I hope you got a lot of value out of Michael's uh, presentation and and out of the things that I've shared, and I wish you could all be here because being here live, like, there's no, there's nothing better than that. But hopefully, you were able to get something. I w- I want you guys to get as much value as you possibly can, whether you're able to be here or not. Um, hopefully I'll see a lot of you guys at Flip Hacking Live. Um, it's, it's going to be absolutely incredible. So anyway, guys, if there's any way that I can help you out, um, if it's just listening to the podcast and getting little tidbits here and there, awesome. Uh, if I can help you out in a, in a bigger way, if you are interested in any of our coaching programs, regardless of what level you're at, like we have something for you, unless you're already at the eight figure mark, then you might have to wait till nine figure flipping. But <laughs> regardless of what level you're at, um, we can we can help you out so anyway you can go to house slash coaching or if you are ready for the seven figure mastermind group or eight figure for that matter you can go to seven figure com and fill out an application and one of my team members will will get on a call with you and we'll see if it's the right fit and we'll uh go from there so we never put people in a group that they it's not the right fit for them because it hurts them, it hurts us, it hurts everyone. And quite frankly, my coaches would uh, would not be happy with me if I was putting brand new investors in a high-level group that they're not ready for. And uh, don't feel bad if you're not ready for that. Just get ready for it. Get out there. Make it happen. Like literally, how far are you from changing your life? I and mean, within 12 months, we have people who are speaking at Flip Hacking Live who came to Flip Hacking Live last year, had not done a deal. They partnered up, and they are currently at the seven figure point um it's just it's incredible to see and, and there's no reason why you can't do that as well and if you don't get to seven figures that's fine get to six figures if you're out six figures get to seven if you're out six uh if you're not um if you're just getting started get to the six figures get started do something it's all about execution there's no reason why you can't do this business there's two kinds of people people find a way to make it happen and people find a way to not make it happen and which one are you going to be if there are people out there doing it you can do it. As Andy always says from some movie, he quotes, what one man can do, another man can do. He does a lot better than I do. (laughs) But just know that, like know that you can do it. Not can you do it? How can you do it? So anyway, guys, I'm getting really excited here. Um, This podcast has gone on way longer than I had planned. But hey, that's how I roll, right? So all right, guys, I love you all. I can't wait to see so many of you in just a couple short days. And the rest of you, I hope that we're able to meet sometime. And if not, I, I hope that you've been able to be impacted um, in some way, shape, or form through you know the house flipping HQ community and podcast. And it's love, love what I do. So that's all I got, guys. I will stop talking because I can keep going, but I gotta stop at some point. So anyway, get out there, guys, make some things happen, take action on the things that matter, and we will talk to you next time on the house flipping.